Support for the ShakeOut podcast comes from Port San Antonio, a technology campus where nearly 4,000 new jobs in aerospace, cybersecurity, robotics, and other fields have been created in the last three years. And in collaboration with the San Antonio Museum of Science and Technology and other partners, the port will be home to a comprehensive eSports arena and innovation center in early 2022. More at techportsa.com. There's a word that keeps coming up in the stories I'm writing and hearing these days. It's the uh, word unprecedented. The Trump administration's unprecedented coronavirus response. These are kind of unprecedented circumstances here. So, so in many ways, this is really unprecedented. Unprecedented action unprecedented in times. Not only the city of San Antonio, but maybe... The pandemic has turned the country upside down. It shut down the American economy, put tens of millions out of work, and is destroying wealth. It may reorient the country in a way not seen since the Great Depression. So Texas Public Radio thought it might be a good time to start a podcast to document this critical moment and to show what opportunities might exist. The country's going through an incredible moment of strain and struggle, but it also may be a great time to try big things, take big swings, and maybe even come out better than we were. I'm Paul Flav, and this is The Shakeout, a limited series that looks at the economic impact of this pandemic and how it's changing the way we live. Stay with us. Nowhere is the economic damage from the pandemic felt more, but seen less, than on the kitchen tables across the United States. Here in Texas, the number of people unable to feed themselves regularly doubled since the pandemic began. Some have even called it Great Depression levels of need. And I know what you're thinking. There's no way this could be true. Obviously, if this hunger thing were so dramatically terrible, I would have seen it. If 2020 weren't the menagerie of disasters it's turned out to be, that might be the case. But somewhere between the initial stories about record-setting unemployment, police killing George Floyd along with the Black Lives Matters protests, and more than 200,000 Americans dying from COVID-19, the story sort of got lost. In Texas, the number's more than 1 in 10. 1 in 10 people who needed a free meal or groceries in the past seven days. In San Antonio, where I live, you don't have to look that far to see it. How are we doing today? Can you lower your back window so I can put this in the back? These are ramen noodles. There are growing numbers of people standing in lines looking for food across the city as people struggle to find work. There's no work. There's no work. There's not income. So that's the, one of the reasons. You know, at least we have for sure food. And they're being pushed to the edge. And so is that one income is not enough to make everything meet. It's either, okay, we can pay all the bills, but then, you know, what's going to be left over? Ramen noodles, beef flavored. These two women, Rosario and Trevette, have been waiting for hours in this long line at a mega food distribution put on by the food bank. Diane Schanzenbach, economist and director of Northwestern's Institute for Policy Research, says the numbers needing help with food are astounding. We've never experienced food insecurity at this level uh, since we've been tracking the data you know, for the last 20 years. Not knowing where your child's next meal is coming from is scary. I mean, it's just sad. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's just every time this comes out of my mouth, I just get you know, sick about it, frankly. And more than any time since the Great Depression, it's on people's minds. And that's what we're talking about in this episode of The Shakeout, hunger or food insecurity, what it looks like right now, who needs help, 
Who are the people in these long lines, and what are they going through? So let's get to it. How many households are you picking up for? One family? A couple of food bank volunteers walk down a long stretch of cars in this large parking lot of a football stadium. The parking lot is filling up ahead of a San Antonio food bank mass distribution on a Friday morning in August. How many households are you picking up for? After asking how many families they're picking up for, one of them slips a colored piece of paper under the windshield wiper if it's more than one. Today, the sheet is blue. How many households are you picking up for? Uh, one family. One family? The food bank's been doing these mega distributions since the last week of March. They're so big that police have to direct traffic. All right. Have you been through here before? No, this is my first time. Okay, so at each, at each tent, there are two things that they're going to give These modern-day bread lines have given out tens of millions of pounds of food, feeding hundreds, thousands, and once in San Antonio, more than 10,000 families in just one event. We believe that distribution back on April 9th was the, the largest domestic food distribution ever. You know, 10,000 families. Uh, our data says the average family size that we feed through this crisis has been five. So 50,000 people were provided food. Um, that's in, in one day. Eric Cooper's the president of the San Antonio Food Bank, and he agrees that while these lines lack the black and white photo feel of the Great Depression, the men in wool coats and trilby hats standing packed on a sidewalk, the need, the need is the same. The sidewalk replaced by parking lots of unused stadiums, the wool coats bracing men from the cold are now cars, shielding families from the intense summer heat of South Texas. San Antonio is the sleepy uh, seventh largest city in the country, right? So then you think about that, seventh largest city in the country with the highest percentage of people living in poverty, um, we struggle. This food bank went from feeding 60,000 people a week to 120,000 a week in a matter of days. Here, Cooper comes to each of these mass distributions to help thank volunteers, talk to people online, and yeah, speak to the press. I'd never seen lines this long in my life. I, I, I just, I couldn't even wrap my head around. It wasn't a food distribution, it, it's what you'd see at a Spurs game, but realizing it, it was a food distribution and knowing it was a food distribution was so surreal. And, and even just standing here in the Alamo Dome that's known for great sporting events, you know, what are we doing here? Like, this is, this is just crazy. Everyone gets that the economy tanked, that jobs were lost. We turn now to the economy. Almost one in five Americans is out of work. But for many people, it was like falling off a cliff. And for many Texans, it started on March 19th. <laughs> well, good afternoon. So let's rewind to that day and probably the biggest political decision that Texas Governor Greg Abbott has ever made. I first began working on this uh, in mid-January when I first talked to Vice President Pence. It's the biggest because this is the press conference where he shut most of business-friendly Texas down. Well, the first Texan tested positive on March the 4th. So let's go through it quickly. Things began to change even more rapidly. Earlier today, declared a public health disaster 
in the state of Texas. The last time this was declared was 1901. I am issuing an executive order that provides the following. Number one, every person in Texas shall avoid social gatherings in groups of more than 10. People shall avoid eating or drinking at bars, restaurants, and food courts, or visiting gyms. All schools in the state of Texas shall be temporarily closed. But this does not mean so not only did mom and dad just lose their hospitality jobs, but Food Bank President Eric Cooper says schools closing meant young Texans were losing those free lunches further burdening parents. The number one strategy against childhood hunger is the National School Lunch Program. So when they extended spring break a week, that's devastating, right? Then all of a sudden school districts were saying, well, we might not even go back. And you're like, we were panicked, right? And they saw an impact. The food bank's inventory hit an all-time low. Our shelves were empty, we were scraping just to try to get food for these types of distributions and without some public support. Ultimately, the community did rally and donations went up. And the federal government launched some programs that helped. One for students missing those free and reduced lunches and a USDA program diverting food that would have gone to schools and restaurants now to families. And at the time, there was an extra $600 for the unemployed each week. But even then, many people were still ending up here in this line, waiting hours in a sea of cars. People like Rosario Cepeda never had to ask for help with food before the downturn. She went to her first distribution in April. Eventually, the state started opening back up. But here in Texas, July brought a massive surge in COVID cases that didn't stop for weeks. I'm a hairstylist. Everything went down again. Because uh, they start talking about the dangerous but now they know that they can go longer time without doing anything to the hair. So that's the, one of the reasons that I'm here. The quarantine changed people's habits, she said, but it hasn't changed hers. She's still a workaholic. She was here in line at 5 a.m. for a food distribution that starts at 9. And she'll go to her salon this afternoon and hope someone shows up because she has even more mouths to feed. Okay, my, my daughter, it has four kids and the husband, because that, you know, there's no work and then no rent, and they had to move in the house. That's the, the, the toughest thing. It's clear that many are in the same boat. As I make my way down the long line of cars, a woman named Eileen waves me over. She's in her late 40s and says this is her first time here. Her husband drives a truck for a food distribution company. But despite his sojourns across Texas with a tractor trailer filled with food, their cupboards are empty. We hit rock bottom. After that, you know, no, it just started hitting us like about two, three weeks ago. And I tried to make it, borrow money, and it's just like it's gone really crazy. Eileen's story is one of sliding into poverty because of COVID, rather than a crash from a life-changing event the loss of a job, the unexpected hospital stay, or as in the case of my next interview, the result of a larger crisis. Hey, Shannon. So it looks like I've been reporting on these distributions in Texas for months, and today I'm meeting with a woman named Shannon, but she's late. I'm usually not this late. I just, I had a pet emergency this morning. But... Eventually she makes it into the staging parking lot. Shannon's directed to a spot in one of the more than a dozen lines of tightly packed cars. 
All right, before we go on, can I take a sip of my coffee and, yeah. and vape for a minute? No worries. I'm, uh, You're I'm, stressed out. Yes, I'm, I'm nervous and I'm... I'll give you, you know what, we've got the time, so let me okay. get out of these carsways and then I'll... Okay. I weave my way back out through the steel and fiberglass caterpillar of cars, the smell of exhaust hanging in the air. Then over my headphones I hear something. Just above the hum of the collective engines and the buzz of a wireless microphone I put on Shannon, I hear her praying. Lord, let your, let your words flow through me. Let, just let your... Shannon had never used the food bank as an adult. She lives on social security disability. Her life was recently thrown into disarray by a domestic violence event that took everything from her clothes to her food. A social worker connected her with the food bank and she wasn't looking forward to it because the only time she ever went to the food bank was with her grandmother as a child many years ago. And they would send her commodities. It was, you know, the cans, the canned pork and the canned chicken. And and I would see that stuff and it was, ugh, you know, it was just awful. And I would tell her grandma, this stuff is gross. And she'd say, she'd say, child, be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for what you have. So she knew what to expect from a charity food program, but she was wrong. I opened up the, you know, the trunk and I, and I looked in there and I was like, Holy cow, this is some good stuff. I mean, I was ecstatic. I was astounded. I mean, now when she comes, she's excited. And that's a good thing because she's got about another hour in this line. You're just gonna wait here a second, they'll wave you forward. About 90 minutes after arriving, she's getting food, large boxes of milk, yogurt, canned vegetables, frozen chicken, and more. If there's not enough room back there, you can put some in the back seat here. Thank you. God bless you. Have a blessed day. So if all of this food could feed one family, I mean, imagine what it could do for one person. So after she realized just how much food it was, she decided she would do more with all of it. Back at her apartment campus, Shannon's taking out food she wants the snack yogurts, oh, these are really good. Last time they were m and m So I usually take out three or four of them for my, for my granddaughter and myself. And then unloading the rest in the shade around her car. So it doesn't get frozen, I'll put it over here in the sun. She picked up food for two families. And now she's setting up for her own food distribution. Oh, wow. Oh, we've never gotten these before. Oh, these are nice, these like steak fries. One she does every week when she returns from the food bank. The reason why I do that because in my in this community everyone is disabled. We're all on social security. Okay? Everyone is disabled and many of them do not have cars. Her neighbor Jose walks up. He's got a pandemic haircut and a long gray beard. Yeah, I'm just looking. Um, I tell them, wait a few minutes, let me get settled. Nobody touches the food until I go through it first. Okay. When she's done setting up, lifting those heavy boxes, she's tired. Whew. See, it's backbreaking work. It really is. She sits down in a nearby gazebo, and then eight people emerge from their one-story brick duplexes and make their way into the parking lot. Do you need some help? I just feel like... Huh? You doing okay? That's... They wear masks, have grocery bags or boxes. One uses her walker as a grocery cart. 
A home health aide fills a paper bag for her client. They fill their sacks with milk, with juice, yogurt, and after about 10 to 15 minutes, they begin to drift off. Thank you so much. Go ahead, have a joint. When they leave, there's still quite a bit left. Um, it's about average. Not everybody comes out, but that, that's it's pretty good. Now, now, some of this food I keep, and then others, they ask me for it later. When they leave, Shannon's more sure of herself. It's clear that she feels better for having done something to help. Maybe she feels some control at a time when none of us are really controlling anything. Shannon lives alone, but she got food for two families. She comes to the food bank every week, even though it's technically against the rules. But because of Shannon, eight households on San Antonio's west side got food today. It would be wrong to describe these mass distributions as social engagements. But people do chat occasionally. It's cool enough to keep your windows down. They get out, they talk every now and again, wave at the cars they recognize. This is what it looks like when more than 3.6 million Texans sometimes or often don't have enough to eat. What's it like for a family? Next, we turn to a man who's trying to keep everything together when COVID's given him every reason to let it fall apart. Clint Carpenter was out of work for two months during the pandemic, and the food bank has become a part of his family's routine while they get back on their feet. People in these lines recognize him because of his truck and the giant My God and Whom I Trust stickers stretched in big letters across the top of the windshield. After I left the food drive, a lady followed me. Uh, when I got almost to my house, she stopped in front of me, waved me down, and was like, oh my God, I love the sticker on your truck. The 23-year-old thanked her, told her God bless you, which is a phrase he uses a lot these days. He's been working a program to stop drinking and drugs and has been sober for nearly a year. This is the longest that I've been sober. Since when? Since the age of 12. Carpenter lives 40 minutes east of San Antonio in Seguin, a small town with a university. The drive to get food is long, but the two weeks' worth of provisions keeps his family's heads above water. This year's been challenging. He got sick in April and worried for a time it was COVID. It turned out to be mono. It was cold comfort since it knocked him off his feet for more than a month. When he was ready to go back to work, there was no work to go back to. He had lost his job. When he got a new one, three people were diagnosed with COVID on his first day. He had to quit. Because he, his fiance, and two sons moved in with his grandparents back in December. And he couldn't bear the idea of getting them sick. He'd be out of work for two months. We had saved almost $10,000. We're down to $3,500 due to this pandemic. When I met up with Clint, he had just got off work at his new job. He works at a factory making sheet metal buildings. And I've got little cuts all over me, dude, and it's like, oh my God, like, these metal buildings don't play. <laughs> I met him at his home on his grandfather's property. It's five acres of hills crammed with mesquite trees. 
The sound of large trucks carry across those hills from the nearby interstate at night, Clint says, but otherwise it's peaceful. And it's a two-bedroom trailer, and uh, my fiance, my two boys, and my grandparents live here. My grandparents are off and on. They have another place that they stay at sometimes. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, all six people live in the two-bedroom trailer. It gets overwhelming, especially when we're all in the kitchen. When we're all in the kitchen ready for dinner, it does get overwhelming. Clint doesn't actually have time to talk. Nearly every day he gets off work, showers, and then hops back in his truck to pick up his two sons from daycare. He'll then drive them 40 minutes north to a nearby city to drop one of them off with his fiance, who's at work. What are y'all doing? I just picked up the boys. Clint meets me in a nearby park with his 18-month-old named Cash. What, you want to slide? Ready, set, go! <laughs> he says if he didn't have food from the food bank, he couldn't make ends meet. Well, for me, if I didn't have the food drive and I had to cut into my savings, I would be... I would be out of money soon, uh, less than a month. They're trying to rebuild. They want to save enough money to buy a house or a trailer to locate on his grandfather's lot. Both parents take any overtime they can. They're in many ways just hanging on. My freezer's full because of the food drive. I mean, they've provided us with more than enough. I still have food left over from last month, which is, um, it's already cooked uh, beef fajita meat, but I can make tacos, I can make uh, fajita salad. I can make all kinds of different things with this stuff. I mean, uh, it does get tiring sometimes, eating the same thing, but uh, we're grateful. That's what matters. Clint plays with his son a little longer. Soon he'll have to feed him again. And after that, sometime tonight, he'll attend a meeting to help him stay sober. He says it helps him hold on to what he has left. Clint, Rosario, Shannon, Eileen, Trevette are just a few members of the more than 400,000 families that now line up for food each week in Texas. The breakdown in our economy, the decisions we made as a society to let some people work while others were barred, brings to the fore a basic question that's yet to be settled in the US. What do we owe to one another? Who's responsible for individual need when society makes choices or when people are swept up in circumstances they cannot control? We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we look at the federal program that does the most to alleviate hunger in America and how it may not be enough. While the number of hungry people in Texas is stunning, experts say we do know how to handle this. And many think we aren't doing enough to ensure everyone eats. The extra pandemic assistance unemployed people were getting is long gone. And programs to feed low-income kids are up in the air as schools figure out how to be in session. That's a big deal as school districts across San Antonio feed a lot of kids. Like more than 8 in 10 children in some school districts get free or reduced lunches. Air Cooper with the Food Bank is always an optimist. He has a lot of positive things to say about the state, federal, and community efforts to meet the challenge. But with all those efforts, we still have these massive lines of people needing food. Yeah, it just sucks. It sucks, you know? And, and um, no one wants to be sitting in their car getting food 
um, in a parking lot. Uh, they're, they're doing it to survive. Yeah. And so it's just humbling. There is a program tasked with handling this problem, and it's called the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. It's the largest program fighting hunger in America. Northwestern's Diane Schanzenbach says it's pretty efficient. For every one meal that a food bank can provide, SNAP tends to provide eight. It's a very efficient and effective way to meet increasing needs. She compliments states like Texas and Florida. We're pretty great at enrolling people on SNAP, she says. We've had a lot of experience with the program because of decades of hurricane disasters. And the number of SNAP enrollees are shooting up. The Fed spent nearly half a billion dollars in June to feed hungry Texans. A half a billion dollars in one month in just one state. But it isn't enough. And that's why she and dozens of food banks across the country are calling on Congress to increase how much money SNAP can give to people by 15%, which is what they did in 2008. She says the data shows that 15% raise had the most impact of any program on the economy and helping poor people. But Congress still hasn't raised it. Frankly, it is shocking to me that this isn't just more of a no-brainer. I had a chance to ask Texas Senator John Cornyn why Senate Republicans haven't raised SNAP benefits. He was at a May food distribution where he came to load cars. Would it have been better to just give more money into the SNAP program and expand the SNAP program so people were going into grocery stores rather than having to come out to these parking lots? Well, we've done that quite a bit. We've had, we have enhanced the SNAP program. We've uh, added billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars to try to get food to people who need it in various ways. Part of the challenge is there's so many different programs and so many different The government pipelines. is pouring billions of dollars into food. They're propping up food distributors through the Farmers to Families program, which is supposed to spend $4 billion on food. The country spent $2.2 billion on food that would have been bought by China but wasn't because of the trade war. That food went to food banks. And the Senate did say everyone could have the current maximum of SNAP benefits. But that doesn't help people who were most in need. They already had the maximum. So Cornyn wasn't wrong per se. But now, as other programs end, Senate Republicans haven't embraced increasing the total amount people can get for food in SNAP. SNAP's only one piece of a solution, and it comes with big barriers to eligibility that prevent many of the people reeling from COVID now from entering. Things like owning a car that's too expensive, having too much in the bank, it can cut in or bar you entirely from the program. Having enough food to eat is something we all take for granted. The persistence of COVID-19 is changing that for millions of Texans. On our next episode, you'll hear about one big idea to impact hunger and poverty that's gained a lot of steam in the past couple of years. Mr. Yang, your, your signature policy is to give every adult in the United States $1,000 a month, no questions asked. That's right. Uh, I think that's like three points. This has been The Shakeout. This episode was edited by Kitty Isley with production assistance from Ben Henry and overseen by news director Dan Katz. The Shakeout is a production of Texas Public Radio, which is shepherded by CEO Joyce Slocum. I'm Paul Flav. Thanks for listening.